Some of you may recall episode 52 where Nick Hendrew asked me this question. So if there were no barriers at all and you found yourself stood in front of your ideal guest and you could ask them and they would come on, who would that be? I would love to have a chat called Rob Bell on my podcast, who's my absolute guru. He does an amazing podcast called The Robcast. He's a, a really deep spiritual person. So I'd love to have him on. Hi, Rob, please come on my podcast. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very busy man. Uh, yeah, Rob, if you're listening. In this episode, I get to talk to Rob Bell, international speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and one of Time Magazine's top 100 influential people in the world in 2011. And he's the host of one of my favourite podcasts, The Robcast. Rob looks at the world through a different lens and challenges us on a deeper level. We talk about Rob's take on what's going on in the world right now, particularly for healthcare professionals navigating the world in a COVID pandemic in a system which was already broken. Rob shares some universal truths with us about how to steward your energy in your life in ways which will make you feel truly alive. And we talk about how to make peace with your limits, doing the interior work so that you can truly thrive. So listen to this episode if you want to know what you should do if you feel really heavy at a soul level. And listen if you're wondering how do you know if you should stay in a toxic environment and change things from within or leave and make things better in different ways. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options, stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. You are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back.
It's absolutely fantastic to have me on the podcast today, Rob Bell. Now, Rob is a creator, an author, best-selling author, a podcast host. Uh, he's the Time magazine's top 100 influential people of 2011. He's toured with Oprah. He really is podcast royalty. He hosts, hosts the Robcast, which has now, I think, over 300 episodes. Is that right, Rob? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a, a lot of a lot of speaking on your own into a mic in your back house there. <laughs> Actually, it's being in a room with people. It's a live event with people and that exchange and connection that is to me, that's really where all the life is. All alone with the microphone, you know, it's fine. It's great. But people in a room bodies together in a room that's to me the heartbeat of the whole thing yeah totally agree bodies together in a room but that's been hard hasn't it the last yeah. you know year and a half what have you done during covid then i probably spent the first month or so like wait what what because everything for 2020 got was canceled like for for some although obviously for people in your world, every, all the knobs got turned up, but whether it was a move to greater frequency and volume and intensity, or it was everything got shut off, it was like shock, disorientation either way. And then like the limitations I have learned over the years always have some new creativity lurking in them. The, the, the moment a person has the assumption of, well, that, that form, that medium, that shape, you can't do X and Y. Yeah, but if you can't do X and Y, there's probably some Z hiding there that might have all sorts of new things. So then I started doing things on Zoom, which isn't the same, but I discovered all sorts of new things and connections that could be made. Yeah. I and mean, it's meant that like people could come and attend your workshops from all over the world, right? Whereas perhaps they couldn't before. Yeah. Normally to come to Los Angeles takes a, it's a hike. People do it, but it's a hike. But all of a sudden there we're like you and I are talking right now effortlessly. So I'm really honored to have you on the podcast. I, cause I really would like to share some of your thoughts and ideas about how the world works essentially with my listeners and I knew I could never really do them justice myself I've been really influenced and shaped by many of your books and your films and shows over, over many of the years and I think what you're talking about has never been so important to to people particularly sort of people in my world as it, as it is now and obviously COVID has changed everything I think in the medical world the healthcare professionals but I guess other busy professionals in really high stress jobs like you said earlier it, the dial has just been turned up really really high lots of people are suffering a lot of stress and burnout even before the COVID pandemic and now it's really really bad we've got people with PTSD lots of mental health problems people are working flat out they're still working flat out because all that sort of demand that was almost quashed during COVID when people couldn't really go and see their doctors about routine things that's all coming back. And the public demand just seems to be endless. The system seems to be really, really broken. And I know earlier in the pandemic, one of your podcasts, you were talking about the apocalypse <laughs> and what the apocalypse meant and what, what yeah. it really meant and what it revealed. First of all, could you tell us what, what you mean when you say oh, apocalypse? Right. 
because I right, think right, many of our right. probably won't know that. Because for a lot of people, the a word that often gets used is like, oh, this feels apocalyptic, meaning like in our neighborhood, uh, all the stores were boarded up for a while because of the looting. Or there are times here in Los Angeles when the streets were just like empty because everybody was in their home. And, and the word that we use kind of feels apocalyptic. And by that, people mean like the end, like kind of feels like this is what like in a movie happens right when the whole thing blows up. But apocalypse actually is an, an old Greek word that means like a revealing or a disclosure. So apocalypse historically didn't mean an ending. It meant a revealing of what is. And so like when you talk about a healthcare system that's broken, there's a revealing of how badly it's broken that's incredibly painful like ripping off a scab off a wound and yet for there to be any sort of transformative change you have to have the full revelation of just how bad it's broken and without pain we generally just preserve the previous system because it's good enough you think about relationships marriages, addictions, it, there's not enough pain often. And so the thing just sort of continues to go along at this profoundly lukewarm, mediocre, slightly lifeless state. So this, this experience we've all been through, my wife, Kristen, and I talk about an apocalyptic truth. It's so painful and excruciating to experience or to witness up close. And yet if you look at the large, long time patterns of history, that's how change comes about is enough peoples see the full revelation of the mess and go, we have to do better. We can do better than this. We're in enough pain. So even think about professionals who have no rhythm of life, who have no, they're always on, or they always have their phone on them, or every day of the week, they check their email. Well, there's no trade craft art form that doesn't have some sort of sine wave built into it. You're on, you're off, you work, you rest, you engage, you disengage. So it's interesting, like in healthcare is you have people who are experts in the body completely violating what the entire natural order has been shouting to us the whole time, which is inhale, exhale, winter, spring, summer, fall it's not aligned with reality. And, uh, and so of course the wheels will come off. You're right. You can look at it and go, yeah, of course, of course, of course that's going to happen. That, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. Anybody from the outside who you showed them. So what's interesting when you're within a system is it becomes a lens through which you view everything. So it's very easy, especially, and, and what's interesting is dedication, devotion, and accomplishment to something can actually have a trap built into it, which is it becomes the sum total of your world. It's the lens through which you see everything. And so sometimes what's needed is, there's a term for it, second naivete, which is an ability to see something as if you've never seen it. Also known as beginner's mind and Zen. Also known as childlike, which is different than childish. Childlike is simply able to see it with a certain purity as it is without all of your cynicism and skepticism. But if somebody were to look at some of these systems, healthcare, law, political structures from the outside, they would be like, wait, 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 wait. That, 
politician is in that debate, but they receive how much money from those four corporations? Well, should, shouldn't that be on the screen somewhere that you can see? So when they say, this is my perspective, it would just really be good to know that how much money they've received from these different groups, because it's not really their perspective. It says it's a representative democracy, but it's not really. So, I mean, and you can see there's at some times in the pain, the way to the transformation is you have to embrace some lightness and humor. It's like a sort of dark humor that goes, oh God, this is so bad. And sometimes that lightness is what's needed for the imagination to enter of, well, how should it be done? I mean, the, the, you can't do any worse. That's often where the seeds of innovation get planted is somebody hits a breaking point where they're like, this is completely insane. No one else is saying how insane. Everybody's saying it, but not in the open. They speak the thing. We should talk about the two columns, by the way. What often happens is systems, family systems, relational systems, markets, professions, all the staff of a local hospital, there are developed two columns, the things we can talk about and the things we don't talk about. Any system where there's, and generally that list is not explicit, it's implicit. You pick it up. You take that new job and you're like, how come people in marketing never talk with people in sales? Or you marry into your family and like, what's the deal with Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Jim? Like they don't, what happened? And so some family member has to pull you aside and say, okay, three years ago, there was a Christmas party. A couple people got drunk, like that kind of thing. Someone gives you the territory and then you learn, this is how the two columns develops. This is what we talk about. This is what we've all agreed not to talk about. The huge truth here is anytime there's a column of things we don't talk about, such as I hate being a doctor, <laughs> such as I got into this to help people and I now am the one who needs the help. I don't want to keep doing this anymore. It's not even worth the pay. Whatever is that we've agreed not to talk about is actually running the show. It's the, it's the presence and absence. It may not be spoken, but it's if dad's an alcoholic and nobody is allowed to say dad's an alcoholic, dad being an alcoholic is running the whole thing. It's like rudder on the ship. Gosh, that's, that's really interesting because I think people are really happy to talk about some things. So they'll talk about yes. workload, won't they? They'll say, I'm overwhelmed. The work is too much or it's not fair or I've not got the right contract. We haven't got enough staff. So they'll, they'll talk about that and they'll talk about how stressed they feel. But that other column, that's the really fascinating thing about I thought my job was to help people. I thought... yeah. I would love this job. Yeah. You can't you can't really say that, can you? Yeah, so so as soon as as soon as any space scene system as soon as people start naming the second column, now things start to happen. So for example, I'm overwhelmed. Okay, so let's talk about this. Are you okay having limits? You can't help everybody. If you want to do this 10 years from now and have more energy and more ideas and more passion for this work, then right now you're going to have to make peace with your limits, which means you won't be able to do it all. And there are moments when you'll have to simply go home and sit in your backyard and stare at a bird. And that will confront your ego. That will confront your sense of power and powerlessness. That will, like, there's a deeply personal component of, 
embracing your and accepting your limits. This is how much I can do. And the reason why I only can do this much is because five years from now and 10 years from now and 15 years from now, I still want to be in the game. And right now I can work the nine extra hours. I can work the 34 extra hours, but that's all being extracted from some moment six years from now when I'm on the roof of a building <laughs> yelling, somebody help, whatever, you know what I mean? Where I just get in my car and I drive to Ipswich because that's it, I'm out. <laughs> You've obviously been to Ipswich. <laughs> but oftentimes when I have engaged with people who are like, that's it, I'm out. You just go back in their narrative. Yeah. And there were these moments where there were clear moments when something had to be let go of. There had to be some sort of death. And by death, I mean the good kind of death. Like I have pretending like I can handle this the whole time. I can't. I have been just pushing through because I've always been the strong one. I don't know what to do with my powerlessness and weakness. I don't know what to do with the fact that I, I'm always the one who brings order to things. And right now I feel chaotic. Like, and there was an invitation to step back and sort that out. There was an invitation to rest. There was an invitation to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or oftentimes, in, especially in work world, the person was got into this for a particular reason. They quite liked it. They were good at it. So what the system did is promoted them. So now they're the manager of the people who do the thing that is why they got into it. But the problem is they got a nicer office and they got better benefits and more pay. And they're like, I actually just like being, I just like being one of the people, I like being one of the people who I'm now in charge of. But that would require letting go of whatever it is, the prestige. Why are you going backwards? Nobody climbs down the ladder. Well, they maybe they do if they're following their heart and they actually want to be a human who loves getting up every morning. So that's what I mean by a death. Is a, I define that as simply a letting go. You'll have to let go of the ego and the relatives who are like, why? what do you mean you took a demotion? Yeah, I took a demotion because actually it feels like a promotion somewhere inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm returning yeah. to why I got into this. I'll gladly live in less square footage. I'll gladly drive an older car to wake up every morning and actually feel like I'm doing some good in the world. So yeah. oftentimes there's some, especially, and the more educated and the more, what's the word, self-described, sophisticated, the more these things are elusive oftentimes for people because the musculature got so shaped around up and to the right accomplishment, success, and other understandings of success can be harder to understand. Like I went home in time for dinner and I wasn't drained and I was actually present to the one I love. Maybe that's the game you actually want to be playing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It just takes so much to admit admit that though because we are so habituated about what success is and this is what I've got to do and actually I get to here and then I get to here and they get right. to here and I think people do admit that they're not happy and that something's wrong but by the time they're up there they are so trapped in wh where right. they are and there's that financial trapping of well I've got this mortgage and I've got these kids at this school right. but there's right. also that trapping in but if I don't do it who on earth is going to do it and I'm just yeah, going to be deserting this sinking ship Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but notice, notice the profound ego structure in that. 
if I don't do it, no one will. Okay, first off, notice the view of the scarcity of the universe in that. So, so it's a profound scarcity and lack. If I don't, no one will. Wait, what? It has zero imagination for all of the other people who may, you know what I mean? Like these, these well, if, it also has a, as a deep energetic sense of savior as opposed to helping. I'm here just to do what I can do and help out in a sustainable way. No, that, that's savior energy right there, which has a particular heaviness to it of the soul. Anytime you believe you're the savior, I, I make a distinction between saving energy and helping energy. Helping energy is, is we're all cells in a body. What role do I get to play? Of course I'll help out. Of course I'll do my part. Saving energy has like a, a heaviness at a soul level. Like, oh God, I got to put this thing on my shoulders again. And what weirdly it does energetically is it actually shuts off the participation of others. In the exact moment when others stepping in to help carry load, what is the thing you want most? Oh, look at them. Their saving energy is so clear to other people. Just let them do it. They're the hero. Let them play their little drama out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you see, this is why I knew it'd be good to talk to you because <laughs> it's naming, it's naming that stuff. Absolutely. That's there. I think that heaviness at a soul level, I think that has really hit the nail on the head in terms of in terms of what people are feeling oh but, right right but I don't think they're admitting it and it's coming out as anger and it's coming out as sort of logical logical arguments right 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 now now think about and the reason why this the imprint of this is so huge is think about the person who's interviewed there's a there's a plane crash there's a car there's there's some dramatic horrific life and death in the balance situation and somebody ran towards where the bomb went off and then and we and, and there's footage of them like the boston bombing a number of years ago there's a guy in a cowboy hat running towards where the bomb went off to rescue people what's interesting when they interview that person about their heroic deed they never ever speak of it as heroic and they never speak of it with a heaviness they just say i was doing what anyone would have done oh that person had to be subdued on a plane because they were violent yeah I, a bunch of us just jumped up and did it like like they they always speak of it with a certain lightness so especially in healthcare what we know is it is possible to be in the most fraught life and death situations and still hold it with a certain lightness not a lightness that's not aware of the heaviness a lightness that has moved through the heaviness to the other side. There's the lightness on the other side of the heaviness, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, this is heavy. I'm here to do what I can. I have limits and yet I'll give it everything I got. The outcome is not ultimately in my hands because that's a horrible way to live because that implies a closed universe in which I'm the one running the thing. When I started out as a pastor in my early twenties and one of the jobs was funerals and going to the hospital when somebody was in their last moments. And I was like 20, God, early twenties. And I, I remember, I remember being called to the, going to the funeral home and the family needed to plan the funeral. I remember sitting down with an extended family and realizing they were all at war and that the, the patriarch before he died rewrote his will 
so that at his funeral, the most amount of people would be angry with the other most amount of people. He wanted his funeral to be the most contentious affair possible. So, but see, you're laughing. I, I'm like, what, 25? And I walk into the funeral home. I sit down. Hi, everybody. I'm Rob. Let's plan the funeral. Tell me a bit about Bill or Bob or whatever. And I'm suddenly like, what is that? I sense that this is, I've stepped into something. So like at a young age, this, this, how do you carry heaviness with lightness? Because if you're going to navigate the death of this man who was a horrible man, there, nobody has anything good to say about him. My job is to stand up in front of a room full of people and somehow harness this. You see what I'm saying? How to handle and hold the heaviness with a lightness that doesn't kill you is like a, it's like an art form that doesn't deny the life and death, doesn't deny the having to talk to the family about the diagnosis, doesn't, it, it just holds that in a certain way that you might actually be able to do this for a while. Mm. Otherwise it's too heavy. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I was sort of reading in, in the Everything is Spiritual book, as when you're working as a pastor on Sundays I'd interact with so many people hear so many stories be exposed to so many people's pain I'd feel at the end of the day like it was attached to me yeah yeah handed me something and now I was carrying it around oh yeah I had to learn how to energetically zip up yeah I had to I had to come up with my own sort of and then I discovered there's whole traditions of people who talk about these kinds of things how do you engage meaningfully with somebody in a highly tense situation and not let all of their anxieties fears and not just take all those home with you and yeah there are there are very intelligent wonderful people out there who have done lots of thinking about this sort of thing and have all sorts of there are all sorts of phrases and zip up helps me is like just zip up be present to the person but you don't have to take all their stuff home with you you're just yeah help how you can and then beyond, yeah, that's, this can be done. Yeah. Mm. So I, I totally agree. And I talked to lots of people about, I don't know if you come across the drama triangle with the victim and the persecutor and the rescuer, which, which, which could be quite helpful for people for trying to get out of the, the rescuer. I guess that, that sort of savior complex. I think what I'm seeing in the UK, and I don't know if this is happening in the US, is that Yes, there's all this really difficult work. There's a lot, you know, patient demand huge. Everyone is exhausted and, you know, everyone is working as hard as they can. The other thing that people are coping with is huge amounts of anger directed towards them, which I think has been incredibly difficult. At the beginning yeah. of COVID, every Thursday evening, everybody in, in the UK would come on their doorstep. We were all locked down, so we weren't allowed out. We would clap and we would bang pots and pans to thank the NHS thank yeah. the key workers and it, you know great <laughs> there were lots of things that could have been done instead which probably would have helped more but you know it's nice to feel appreciated but since then and particularly in the last few weeks uh, the media seems to have turned against quite a few doctors accusing people of of having essentially having their surgery shut when they have always been open practice staff have been abused there's been sort of these real really vicious media campaigns about it and I think for the for the first time, people have felt that actually they've gone from being these 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 people who who were helping people to people who are now uh, 
have the collective angst of almost the whole nation against them. It's really hard to deal with that. It's one thing saying, you know, I don't have to take on the pain of your illness right. and stuff I can right. treat. But, but what about right. when it's right. like we're being attacked? We're here to help, but actually we're being attacked and misunderstood right. and all that sort of stuff. Right, right. It's like, well, obviously that before you say anything, that hurts. Mm. So that hurt like any criticism you can intellectualize it but you're a human being so first you feel it you 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 just feel that at some level i can imagine the pain that people are in that we had an election in the u.s five years ago and imagine how deep the levels our resentment are that you would think that guy is my guy. <laughs> I'm going with that guy. So there was the, sh the, the, the surprise and shock and wait, people vote, who's now our president? But just below the surface was, you can read this at a, in a completely different way is what does this tell us? Oh, the, the levels of resentment, the levels of feeling left out, the rage against what perceived to be the elites is that strong. So yeah, first you just have to feel that hurts when people misunderstand you and you're human. So the, it's like you have to have a soft heart and thick skin. It's like they're growing together, a thicker and thicker skin, but oftentimes with a thick skin comes a calloused heart. So the trick, the art of it is to keep the heart tender so it can feel and love and respond. But like you think about in your country, how it's literally people in such pain, they're just looking around, just spinning around. Who, who do we blame? Who do we look at? But once again, you want, this is how change, these are the seeds of change these like the masses go there this system's broken so in that pain in in that misunderstanding in that criticism in feeling like everything's directed who knows what seeds are lurking in that to go yeah we agree with you it's broken glad you see it now you're like throwing things at us so maybe if you could just put the stones down for a moment we're we're with you so what's interesting is the premise there is this side against this side when in fact everybody's actually on the same side. I mean, even you creating the space, that's all part of it. There are those first people who start saying the thing. So you mentioned a little while ago about it becomes so habituated. Anytime something becomes habituated, the person who speaks the truth that hasn't been spoken, there's a direct proportional power to that. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops 
top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. So there's the, the thing that, that isn't being said. The system has gotten so strong. Weirdly enough, the people who then do begin to articulate a new vision that has a corresponding power to it because it's so glaringly new and different. It's mm. fascinating. It is fascinating. My, my impression is that, that you know, that this, this whole anger from the public, like you said, they're in pain. So they're looking for somebody to blame. Somebody, traditionally, give me somebody to direct this to. Yeah. Traditionally, your family doctor there being the person that you trust that helps you out. All oh, boom, right. suddenly I can't get exactly what I want from my family doctor. Therefore I will direct my anger there. Then, then the doctors respond with the whole very logical, but that's not fair. We've been open all the time, this, this, that, and the other. Actually, they're responding with a real heart cry, but they're trying to argue it out in a logical, in a logical right. system, right. Which, which then isn't working. Okay, so a, a word that I would give all of your doctor friends is the word transrational. Transrational is a stage of development in which you have moved beyond, there's pre-rational, which it doesn't, it's resi it resists science. It doesn't know the fact, it doesn't even, it just, it sounds absurd. It sounds like the person, then there's the move from pre-rational to rational. That's when your parents start telling you, well, actually there's condensation, there's evaporation, water goes up into the, it's not because the fairies are crying, it's because water's coming from the clouds because of that, like there's a move from pre-rational to rational. The Western world is, in many places simply stuck in a hyper-rationalism that doesn't know what to do with realities that cannot be measured with the basic rules of empiricism. Give me a chart, give me data, but the Western world, its intellectual tradition was so strong, which is wonderful, that's why we have hospitals and airports and iPhones, but it didn't do so well equipping people for the dimensions of life that can't be accessed through the narrow parameters of scientific materialism. So transrational fully includes the rational, the intellect, but also leaves room for the deep mysteries of life. It's the Google engineer who, who's looking for a poem for their mother's funeral. Well, they're moving from one realm to another, but they have been heavily compensated for their ability to tweak and refine the algorithm. But when they go to their mother's funeral and looking for a poem, that's a very different way of knowing and being. And what happened is the world that we are in so valued the one way of knowing. Like I, I've interacted with CEOs who tens of millions of dollars they are in charge of, but then their first kid is born and they're completely disoriented because they're suddenly experiencing something so beyond what they can see on a spreadsheet that it just, and it's, it's, it's funny if it weren't so, it's such a symbol of the age that this one way of knowing became so highly prioritized. So a doctor interacting with somebody can easily go, but, but here's the data. What, what's, but transrational acknowledges, oh, this, this, person, this person is feeling excluded. 
So until I speak to that, no amount of data or facts, what, what, why, what problem do these have, people have with the facts? Well, think about your own moments of resentment, pain, when you're in an argument with your partner and you feel like they're not hearing you. You're not in peak rationality. So you actually do. So I would say to every one of your colleagues who's like these people, it's like they're irrational. You find yourself in them. You, you locate the question behind the question. You locate the complaint behind the complaint. You're listening to them looking for the, the thing behind the thing. Because until I speak to that, even just, we don't ever want you to feel like you're being neglected. Notice how that even has like a tone and a frequency and then like a to it. No, the person still may be, be but, but nevertheless, you're like speaking at multiple layers. And, and, and this is actually what you're talking about is the call to greater integration. So Daniel Siegel is a, a doctor who tells the story about he's following, he's doing his internship his, and he's following his teacher around and they're standing at the foot of a patient's bed and the patient clearly, there's something physically wrong. Obviously that's why they're in the hospital, but there's a whole series of emotional layers and his mentor turns to him and says, we only deal with the body. And he tells the story about as a, as a young doctor starting out, it's like this pain that took him into a greater integration of there's a whole self here. And that's what's, I mean, that's what's happening in health is people, the, the siloed, narrow, I only do this. The world has gotten too integrated. It's gotten way too integrated. Consciousness has risen too high to where the person who says, I just make sure the company makes money. No, your employees have to feel like they're human beings. You can no longer just say, but the, the, the company made money. It's not good enough. The company also has to be good. And that requires a greater integration of what it means to be human. So in some ways, there's a huge invitation going on here. That a whole way that was a brand new evolutionary way. Look at the science. Look at, we can do blood tests. Look at this. You know what I mean? Look at what we can analyze. We don't have to just say, well, you know, the mother goddess or the nymphs or fairies must be upset with you. We can say, actually, you have a contusion, abrasion, blah, 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 blah. You can do doctor speak. That was a massive leap forward. But now there's an in that's being invited to be integrated. Wow. If we could get people way earlier to understand care for their body, then we wouldn't have them mad because they couldn't get in at the last minute to, to not die. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an invitation to think about the whole person in a longer scope of time, in a more sustainable way. And it starts with a doctor living in a new way. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think in medicine, we, we are now realizing that holistic care is really important, yeah. that health is more important than, you know, health, good health will prevent disease, et cetera, et cetera. And we apply that in terms of, yes, we know the sort of yeah, right. the spiritual dimension of health is really important as well. And I think we are getting used to now applying that to our patients. What I think we don't do is apply it, like you said, to ourselves when we're thinking about 
stress, burnout, we're not using a transrational way of looking at it. We're just using yeah. a very rational way. Okay, well, to beat burnout, you've got to reduce your workload, do enough exercise, have a bit of therapy, do this, boom, that's done. And then, then that doesn't work. And we go, right, we're out of solutions. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, so when a person gets stuck in a hyper-rationalism, what often happens is two things seem to be opposing each other. The mind doesn't do well with dualities. So the mind goes, wait, I either take care of my patients or I take care of myself. Mm -hmm. the, move to trans the move to greater integration is taking care of myself is one of the first gifts I give my patient. The things that were side by side and appeared to be in conflict get integrated into both are necessary. It moves from either or to both and. And so you'll see people like sometimes, some of what you're describing, the like pain is I have held these things side by side in conflict with each other. And I, the very pain and heat and intensity of the moment, something's breaking here. What's breaking is a structure that saw things that way. Um, and movements into greater expansion and integration generally have some sort of death and pain in them because the old system didn't work anymore. And there's some new invitation. So think about, think about a doctor in a meeting and it's the whatever, it's the weekly meeting of the whatever, the third floor, however it gets to whatever, whatever you do there. So they're sitting in that meeting and two other administrators or whoever, get into a discussion about the latest budget numbers or something. And they go on for 11 minutes, Joan and Ralph. Oh, I don't know about those numbers. I, well, we'll see, you know, next month we'll get the new budget. They're going back and forth. But the, the healthcare professional who's in the meeting watching that discussion go on for 12 minutes. Wait, 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 wait. We don't have the budget numbers yet. They come out in two weeks. So, in two weeks, we'll discuss those numbers. But the problem is the person is fatigued. So they let that discussion go on for 12 minutes and suddenly the coffee kicked in or something. They went, wait, 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 wait. What do you do? What are we talking about? So there's 12 minutes gone. That, and the person, I'm working so hard. Yes, but there were these moments when the fatigue and the burnout, all sorts of things went on that if you were rested and present, you would have seen the issue in play in the first 10 seconds. So what's fascinating for many people is it's counterintuitive is you rested and centered. Who knows what efficiencies are in that, that you aren't even aware of because you're the malaise is so thick. And that's when I say the solution and the imagination and the efficiencies there are so many lurking simply in your own rest and care of yourself that will look to people like you've abandoned the mission. Yeah, yeah, I'm not coming in Saturday. So that on Monday, I'll actually be here. <laughs> mm. And for many people, there are these counterintuitive moves that are actually where the breakthroughs come. Yeah, totally. Creativity, it, it only occurs when you're in a, in a rested state, yeah. really, doesn't it? Yeah, you give, you give somebody the 
somebody gives themselves the space to step away, that's how they can see what they're doing with new eyes. Like, why do we do that meeting on Thursdays? Why can't that just be an email? Yeah, I guess it could be. I mean, they're so, uh, this took me years because I was like, well, I care. I want everybody to know I care. But I realized I had to not care to care. I had to walk away. And when I walked away and came back, I brought some, well, even not just a day, an afternoon, turning the phone off. I discovered such propulsive new energies and perspectives that were like systemic. Like, wait, there's a whole way I could do that differently. But I couldn't see it when I was mired in it. Mm. that's hard though isn't it because we comes back to that savior complex if you have that savior complex and your you know your job is not just a job it's a vacation it's your identity it's who you are (laughs) you know we rescue people we're the savior what happens when you're experiencing experiencing stress and burnout someone's saying right you've got to rest um you've got to change what you do but then what when you change what you do that also changes who you are. Who, are, who am I? Right. How'd you deal with that? I, I would make a distinction between impulse and form. So I would say to the person, something, I would, I would always invite the person back through their own narrative. What got you into this? Sometimes people go, oh, my parents wanted me to be this. Oh, okay. Well, well, that, well now at least we're being honest. No wonder 33 years later, you're a little bit fried. You're reading from someone else's script. So do you want to go be a sculptor? Because thanks for playing. We appreciate the contribution, but I don't know how. Anyway, so sometimes you end up with things like, whoa, this probably needs a little bit more reflection. But oftentimes there's some impulse that some people are healers. Some people are prophets. They speak the truth. Everybody needs some people... Can I have a relative who bringing order out of chaos, he gets existentially excited. Like just give him a mess and he will organize a garage. He will organize an office. Like some people that's what, you know, so there are these like Im- deep impulses of who we've probably always been. Some people, wow, they can see possibilities in business education. Some people are teachers. One of my kids is a teacher. He was a teacher when he was eight, like him explaining something to somebody. God, he's like, he's died and gone. So, and then there is the form that that impulse chooses to take. So the healer decides to become a nurse and goes to nursing school, but the form can be the form can be swapped out. What happens for many people is the impulse and the form get fused. So I'm a healer, therefore I'm a doctor. Actually, healers come in all shapes and forms. Yeah, some healers are actually personal trainers because they're like, there's no way we're going to talk about your workout without talking about your nutrition. There's no way we're going to talk about your nutrition without talking about your sleep. There's no way in the workout you're not going to tell me about your love life or your kids. And so that person is actually that personal trainer who we, who we laugh at them and like their yoga pants, sort of the the cliche, they're actually doing wonderful things for the doctor down the street. Like I'm going to head this off at the pass. I'm going to, so 
some ways you go back there's the there's the that impulse that leaning that what it call the thing that is like uh this what this is a thing that when i do it i'm most alive and then oftentimes what happens is the if the forms that like even to the doctor who's like i'm miserable i would simply say why'd you get into this well okay well what other ways what, what do you want oh but i actually just love my garden thing well we could use more organic regenerative farming that helps you actually would have a, be a wonderful person to open up a co-op because <laughs> you would uh, you understand that like you would bring also you see that so that's what i've just discovered in working with a number of people over the years is if you can calm the person down if we can just calm down from the attachment and clinging to the form it's the clean and grasping to the form that often is where the real stress i'm a doctor i i was trained in this this is what i do well just the way you're talking is doesn't is you're you're bored just the way you're talking <laughs> something about it so maybe you'll end up still being one but let's at least clean up the clinging and grasping because it's not helping yeah that makes a, that makes a load of sense. I think there are some other objections that people have though to, to that oh, sort sure. of thing. The you know, well, find find the impulse, and I, I'm, yeah, absolutely, and, and use that in in what er, whatever area brings you joy, brings other people joy. Some people say, yeah, but what about everyone who's left behind? Someone's got to do it. Yeah, 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 and that immediately that question has lurking within it. Who would ever want to do this? So it's, it's the, the objection. Wait, 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 wait. What are you, what are you saying about yourself with that objection? You, you gave me a fascinating and a brilliant answer to this. Okay. On the how to be here tour in London. I remember asking you this question from the floor. I was thinking of doing career change. Should I stay in this job that's making me miserable? Should I try to do something else? But what about everyone else who's left behind? And I think you said something along the lines of, well, who's, who's going to bring more to the world? <laughs> are you who's miserable and unhappy? Or are you that's actually loving what you do and full of joy, et cetera, et cetera? That was incredibly helpful to me. Yeah, the, like imagine, and even there's an exercise here. Imagine the person who says, I object to what you're saying because what about all the people who are going to be left behind? Well, if the system isn't working right now, there are people feeling the effects of the system not working. I've interacted with so many people who, how did you get into this? My mom had cancer and I watched how, how the system, how she worked through the system and thought there's gotta be a better way. The number of people I've interacted with who are doing some new work and it's because they experience the failure of some system somewhere. Like, I, it's not just like one or two people. It's a shocking number of people who are, I went through three miscarriages and I realized there's no space for men and women to, yesterday, the woman who went through a divorce and was like, there has to be a better kind of space to help people heal from divorce and then keep going. A woman yesterday who was like, Holocaust literature for kids is very stilted and fits in a particular, it's not that, like there are new ways for people to remember things so they don't happen again, that speak to kids, better ways of telling these sorts of stories. Like it all happens because somebody was in a thing that didn't work well. And 
they felt it. The number, seriously, Rachel, the number of people who are like, my mom went through X, my dad went through X, my brother had finite, and I saw a, a need. It's, it's astonishing. So the people who are left behind the trust that there's a goodness deep in human beings, human beings want to serve. I would take the doctor who objects to that question, who I said, all the way back to their own desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You think, you think you're the only human who has that? Um, and actually in times of stress and pain and failure of systems, whole new things arise because of that and so how how do you know when the system is so bad that you need to get out of it when it's so toxic it's really damaging or when you need to stay in and just do maybe something tweak your job a bit or or do something different and and stay in and work from the inside oh what a great question well obviously i would never answer that person's question without asking them questions about why they're asking that question (laughs) You know what I mean? I would always want to follow their own thing. But one exercise that I will often, a question I will ask people is, I'll say to them like, oh, do you have a partner? Do you have family? Do you have someone you live with? Okay. How long when you have dinner with them in the evening, does it take you to flush out the toxins from the day? Does it take, or, or, or if they're sitting with somebody, I'll say, are you the person who lives with this person? How long each day does it take them? to like shower off their frustrations from the day. Or I'll say, what percentage of your energy is spent just wading through the muck of the system so you can actually do the thing you're here to do? And I'll say something like, and let's give, you know, 3% to email. There's like an administrivia. There's a basic, the commute, like, the committee meeting. Okay. Also, also give, what's that number? 11%. Let, let's just, there's a, let's take that off the top. But because what's interesting when I say that to the person and the person says 72%. So you actually know the answer or the person will say, well, actually, eh, I don't know, maybe 15. Is that it? Oh, okay. Like it's so, so interesting is just asking them and I'll just say to them on behalf of the crowd here, our hope is that the greater percentage of your energies is spent. So in your question, you kept referring to how broken it is. It seems like 90% of your question was how broken it is. Are you spending 90% of your energy on the brokenness? Okay, well, that's just bad stewardship. And you know that, like, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> Imagine a world where 80% of your energy was actually doing the thing, 85. Um, that's probably how you serve the system is you abandon the thing and it collapses and you're out building a new thing that actually helps. Maybe staying in the thing is actually, you betray it because you love it. <laughs> That's actually, I've seen that oftentimes, a number of people, when you betray it because you care, you're going to let it die because some things need to die. And you're going to go build a new thing. And you can't help it from within. You need to go help it from outside. Well, what's fascinating is how many people will, how long have you been trying to help it? But what about helping it from the inside? How long have you been trying this? 27 years. How'd that go? (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting how often the, I'm not telling you one thing. I'm just simply holding up a mirror and 
so that you can see you've been saying this for 27 years. What's, is it the next 27 where, uh, maybe that's fine, great, we, great. But don't tell me that you have a question. You don't have a question. <laughs> you don't have a question. <laughs> you have a deep knowing that frightens you because it's calling you to something greater, some level of adventure and courage and innovation. That's actually the only, that's the only thing that's going on here is there's a, there's something big and generous that's been being asked of you and you know it and you're trying to find the loop. <laughs> and it's just scary. It's really scary when you realize that. Totally, 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 totally. I can only imagine right now somebody who's a part of the NHS in England who has an idea about how to do this better, whatever it is, they've got some idea that they're like, I actually know this would is needed. What it would require, what does it require? Like it would take some hustle and yet that person would be more alive. People would think their, their colleagues would be like, what are you doing? You have a safe, secure job. Yeah, but I wanna be alive. I'd rather just try this. I can always go to Tesco and make sandwiches, but yeah, I know you people, but like, I'd rather at least try this. Yeah. 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 So if you feel that you're perhaps only whinging for 10% of the time at dinner <laughs> about your job, right? So you should, <laughs> and that did make me laugh that thing. Cause uh, there was a new year's Eve where I said to my husband and my sister, okay, so guys, what are your new year's resolutions? And they said, well, we haven't got any, but Rachel, yours is to get a new job. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Oh my goodness. That's wow. <laughs> and I went, could I do that? And it was the first time I'd even thought it was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a groundbreaking moment for you. It was amazing. And yeah. that just started me off in the whole the whole thing, the whole the whole other thing. And yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. I think quite a lot of the time though, people do half and half they think well I could go and try doing that I've got my foot in this camp though and, and I guess that's one good thing is that you can try stuff out while you're actually in still still in your post um, and try and find out the thing that does bring you joy and I was just wondering if there are any other strategies that, that you've come across to, to help people really thrive and, and flourish where they are even in a difficult system and I remember one of the podcasts recently you did about the concept of south star <laughs> just I love that I thought right I really want people to know about this south star thing because I just wonder if that will help them cope with a little bit of a toxic broken system can you can you tell us about that yeah yeah, yeah. south star when I told my wife Kristen I was like I'm gonna do this whole thing called south star and I gave her like the I was like it's it's the simplest most ridiculous, awesome, life-changing idea. <laughs> and then I gave her like the 10 second version. She was like, yeah, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so you have a North Star, the person who inspires you, the thing you see that you go, oh, that's how to do it. And then you have this whole world of things you see that are like, oh, that's so lame. Oh, that's so frustrating. That's just maddening. If you can begin to read it as a South Star, it's giving you guidance too. It's just like a mirrored image. So what happens is people have all these things they're seeing that are frustrating, that are driving them 
like mental that are like, God, this is everything that's wrong. Okay, good. Just stop. Okay, stop, stop. Why is it wrong? Why does it drive you mad? Why does it not honor people? Why is it not efficient? Why does it make life difficult for everybody else who's trying to run a good NHS? People, it's, it's like you stop and you let it be a South Star, let it guide you. And so what you're actually doing is you're building a converter to take the frustration. Is, frustration, anger, and exasperation are energy. That's energy. If you're venting, if you're ranting, if you're whinging about the state of things, that takes energy to do that. So South Star is actually learning how to convert these energies into activating energies of how it should be done, how you want to do it, the path you do want to walk. And uh, so often it, it requires like almost like a familiarity with the subtle energies of the body because you're like, why does this person get under my skin? This colleague has a supernatural ability to get under my skin. They say things and two days later, I'm still angry about that little thing they said. It was like a dig or a slight. They, they hide knives in their words. Okay, what's the South Star there? Okay, take the thing that they do that just, ugh. okay, then just be the opposite. Treat them like your teacher. What a wonderful person. They've come to teach me how not to be. So right now with the health, a broken healthcare system, let all the ways that it's broken. Okay, so if you were to do it, how would you do it? Okay, that thing's broken. Great, why? South star, south star that thing. Why is it so bad? Okay, well then what's the opposite of that? And so then instead of like, there's these tiny, there's these few North stars that sort of teach us, show us, guide us. You're actually moving, someone called a non-dual, you're moving to the point where everything around you becomes a teacher and guide in some way. Some of it's just teaching you backwards. And then all of creation, all the interactions start to show you. So you move from an impoverished to a generative view of the world around you. All of this is showing you something. Yeah. And I love Polit it. Because you think sorry. about politi politicians who you just want <laughs> to throw the remote at the telly. Okay. Why? Why? Why do they just get under? Because why? Okay. So then we need the opposite. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who do the opposite. Great. Now we're a little more clear than we were. Well, that's I could go do that. Okay, yeah. great. Maybe you could go do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than just getting really frustrated at everything that you totally out of your control, actually, what does that show me that I can do that, that is my control? That's really good. So I know we haven't got very, very long left, Rob, but if, if you were to sort of give someone some real pointers for how to, you know, move from the savior complex to a helper to, to survive in a, a, a tricky environment and maintain your creativity and, and give themselves permission. What have you got any sort of three tips that you would give them or three real quick pointers? You have to make peace with the extent of your energy's influence and effect there we have to make peace with our limits if we're going to live in a sustainable way you have to move from the tyranny of this present moment to how do we 
build new systems and how do we live in ways that are actually good for us and each other in the earth for a while. So it's like a move within time. Time becomes very bendy because you're realizing, oh, this isn't just about anybody can do anything for seven years. Coffee and adrenaline can get you pretty far down the road and then you hit the wall extremely hard. So, so there's a long play. So you go back to this core impulse. What got me into this? Okay, I want to do this for a long time and I want to get better at it and I want to have it become more satisfying and more enjoyable as the years go on. So it's almost like we start with a deep conviction that there's another way to think about this. There's something within me that, that drew me into this, something good. And now I want to do, I really want to, I actually want to help. <laughs> I actually want to serve. I actually want to be a part. I actually want to use whatever skills I have to actually help people. Let's say with that heal. So how would I do, it's like you have to go way back and take it all apart. Okay, so that would begin with how I live so that every time I'm actually doing my work, I'm fully present, giving, actually giving people my best. I, I often, I will ask people, like the people that you love the most, people who live with family, do they get your best energies or do they get table scraps after you've given your best energies to those beyond them? Because that will always, always, always haunt your work. If you're giving your best to people that you'll see once a year, which is a very noble thing, but the people closest to you get little bits and pieces. When parents talk about quality time, I just go like, get that phrase, you know, quality time with the kids, get that phrase out of my face. There is just time. There's just time. <laughs> quality time. <laughs> There's time. You're taking the bins out to the street with your kid. You're doing a homework. You're walking the dog. You're going on holiday. You're showing them how to work a thing because it's broken and they want to know how to fix like it's just time. So I, I would start with the deeply personal. You set your life up so that it has integrity. And then when you go do your work, watch, and I use this word intentionally, watch how magically you become more efficient. You have more satisfying interactions. You're more alert to all the little moves that might actually build something new. But it starts deep in the interior and it works its way out as opposed to if I just had a different job, then no, you'd still have all the same problems. You just have less patience, angry or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's very counterintuitive in a world that sort of worships at this, at surfaces and exteriors to start deep in the interior, but that's how the whole thing shifts. Yeah. The exterior chaos and tension is simply a larger macro reflection of interior chaos and pain. So the healthcare system's broken because of deeply personal, intimate realities each person's carrying around. That's how you get a big system like that. So you, so if you're the doctor, or you're the healthcare professional, and you're going to help it heal then all that is simply a reflection. So you have to go to the interior, start there. The beauty in your profession, there'll always be people, there'll always be need. 
<laughs> There's a yeah, whole but- world of things. The number of people who are like, well, what if the public doesn't want to buy our product? What's interesting about you all is <laughs> you could walk away and figure you could walk away and get yourself all sorted, and you'll never ever have any of the stressors that lots and lots and lots of people have, which is, yeah, but what if no one cares about this technology? What if our product is out of date? What if there's our competitor? What's the competitor? Like yeah. people will always need people to guide them into health. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, we, we do forget that sometimes in the, in the, in the overwhelm, we do forget yeah. actually how, what, what a privilege it is. And yeah, that, that actually is, is yeah. the grass isn't greener on the other side. Great. Rob, that's just, just, it's just been incredibly helpful. I've written so many pages and pages of notes and names and things and stuff I've never come, come across before. And I'd be looking at all of that. Oh, my word. You've written so many books, all of which I found incredibly helpful. But if people wanted to find out more about these sorts of things, which book in particular would you direct them to? Probably Everything is Spiritual is my latest book. There, We, just, we put up a film last year on YouTube called An Introduction to Joy which is about the pain and agony and temporal nature of life and what joy actually is. And there's also a film called Everything is Spiritual, just different than the book that's all on YouTube that might be a place to start. And then I do, I do the Robcast is a podcast that I do regular episodes. So those are all places. My site is robbell.com. Everything's there. Brilliant. So I'd really encourage people to, to go there, peruse it. Gosh, there's so much material there. It's just fantastic. So Thank you so much for spending the time um, to talk to me this afternoon or this morning where, where you are. I'm cheering you on. You're doing great work. Thank you so much, Rob. Love it. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.